Welcome to Crime Wave, a part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with over 4 million listeners worldwide. I'm your host, Bonner Spring. Now, this Crime Wave podcast usually features mystery, thriller, and suspense authors, and as I like to say, the stories behind their stories. But um, today's guest, Doug Sarkin, is a bit of a departure from the usual. Doug is a modern marketing leader. I've heard him referred to as a guru, actually, right? Um, he's an executive who's skilled in developing and implementing strategic change and innovation within the most complex organizational structures. His thinking human, which we're going to talk about later, his thinking human approach to building brands has delivered a remarkable track record. If I tried to read down the list of all the brands Doug has shepherded to unprecedented growth, we wouldn't have time for any conversation. So I'm going to gloss over his successes by saying all y'all listening have interacted with companies he's worked with. And um, Doug's book is so full of really excellent, actionable examples um, from the um of a wide variety of brands that he has shepherded that I think he'll probably hear a lot more about a few of them. Um, in October of this year, Doug released his first book, Moving Your Brand Out of the Friend Zone. And Doug's book is mainly what we'll be talking about today. So welcome to Crime Wave debut author, Doug Sarkin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love the name of the podcast. And I got to tell you, um, when you talked about the fact that most of your writers are mystery writers, my career to my dad, who's 82, is still a mystery. He still thinks all <laughs> I do is make advertising for a living. So it'll be very fitting when I send him the link to this podcast that maybe he'll he'll uncover the mystery and be able to solve the riddle of what I actually do for a living. Well, I think that's actually a really excellent idea. Um, I'm hoping that I'm going to learn something from your podcast as well, um, because branding is something of a mystery to me. Okay, so you're going to treat me like someone who needs to, and to, to be particularly educated about this. Um, let me actually say now, and and I hope I remember to say it before we uh, before we end the podcast. Um, there's so much more to your book than we'll be able to cover today, and basically, I'm going to hit uh, what were for me. Just you know, a few of the high, a few of the high spots. Um, get people thinking about it. The, these are the things that made me start thinking about. Okay, so um, you start out with moving your brand out of the friend zone with a neat graphic. It's actually an yeah. X and Y um, uh, axis chart that explains your ideas of the zones that a brand might uh, inhabit. Since we're an audio only experience, sure. would you like to give us, uh, to describe a little bit for us what the four sections of the chart are? Sure, so if you think about, if you think about an X, Y axis, you've got passion and trust. Those are the two driving forces that can lead a brand out of the friend zone. If you think about the upper right-hand quadrant, you know, high passion, high trust, you have brand love. That's, that's the holy grail. You know, that is when it doesn't matter what shiny penny comes out. It doesn't matter what the hot X or hot Y is of the year. You're always going to stay loyal to this particular brand, product, or service because they make you feel special. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Mm -hmm. If you go to low passion, sorry, high passion, low trust, you get into something called the brand fling. Think about that as a summer romance. Okay, you're hot and heavy, and then you get back to reality and you're like, oh God, what did I do? That is really where you get into things like the one hit wonder. You know, think about all those those music groups that had one great hit and you can't think of another song they had. Um, they're flash in the pans. 
it's great to have a brand fling, but it's not sustainable. Then you get into brand like, which is kind of that modicum of trust, that modicum of passion. The problem with with like is that you you're just there. You know, you're just there. There is no intensity. There is no stickiness. And so you become very, very susceptible to competitive pressure. And then you have brand hate. Okay, now this is crazy. You, and this is where you have no passion and no trust. There are actually dozens of businesses that thrive in the brand hate world. Think about your utility company. Okay, think about your wireless provider. Think about your internet service provider. Think about how many times you've had to buy food at an airport. They're not giving you a great experience at all. All right. But they're making a ton of money and they have no desire to move out of that brand hate because it doesn't matter. You have to use the water company. You have to use the electric company. They don't make it any easier. You know, how many times have you had to yell representative, representative into the phone to try to get a human being on? That's definitely not, not a brand that really cares about you. In the middle, the perfect intersection of passion and trust, dead center is the friend zone. And you're probably asking yourself, why is being friends with your consumer a bad thing? It's a bad thing because you cannot count on their business. Okay. The friend zone is very similar to what happens when you're dating somebody. You know, we've all had people in our lives that we liked and we finally expressed our feelings for. And we've all had broken hearts where you liked them more than they liked you. That passion, that love that you felt for them, that intensity they didn't have for you. In the world of marketing, it's a death sentence. And the reason is, is because marketing is predicated on driving growth for a business. And you can't accurately forecast if you don't know that your consumers love you. If they like you, that's oftentimes when you realize, well, where have they been? Why aren't they coming back? Friendship in today's marketplace is a commodity. It's intensity that is the mark of a brand that's really broken through. So that really brings us to the title of your book, doesn't it? We don't want to be hated. No. Okay, the utility companies want to be hated, but most of us humans don't. I don't think they want to be hated. I just think they understand that there's nothing in it for them to be loved. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, um, frings, bleh, flings are frustrating. Friends are fine, but we need to be, we want to be loved. So how do we get there, Doug? So the core to driving passion and trust is really predicated on understanding first and foremost, the output of maybe it's my version of Einstein's theory of relativity or the Pythagorean theorem. And it's the brand value equation. The brand value equation, brand value equals experience as your numerator divided by price as your denominator. If you are selling a product or a service for $2,000, you have to deliver an incrementally higher experience in order to have a positive brand value equation. Anybody, whether you're making five, 50, 500 million thousands or dollars a year wants brand value from the products and services that they, that they invest in. So your ability to strengthen the numerator in advance of the denominator 
the stronger that output is, the stronger you are likely to move into the world of brand love. That's sort of the first thing is an understanding where you stand. And how do you find that out? We live in a feedback culture. You know, all you have to do is go on ratings and reviews and see what people are saying about you or social media. The essence of moving your brand out of the friend zone and creating brand love to me lies in the notion of thinking human. Thinking human is based on the following principle. Imagine if every customer that came into your store, your website, was the only customer you were going to service that day. How would you treat them? How would you care for them? How would you communicate with them? By putting that at the center of your brand's DNA, you inevitably will drive your brand out of friendship and into love. I really appreciate it. You've already mentioned the uh, the data society that we live in, but um, you devoted a whole chapter um, to the pitfalls of an over-reliance on data. And I suppose what you're saying is an under-reliance on the, the um, human quotient. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think data is great, but data is only as good as the questions that you ask. And how do you know what questions to ask? You got to get into your business. You got to really live and breathe your business. Right. Um, yeah. You, the examples that you've given throughout the book have been extremely helpful to me, as I say, the brand, a branding novice um, to understanding you. what you're doing. Um, one of the things, and I think it sort of relates to the conversation we're having right now is distinguishing between a product and a brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a and- brand, a brand, you know, and I, I've, I've asked that question at, at Ivy League institutions. I've taught at my daughter's high school and asked that question. And you get varying degrees of complex answer. It's very simple. A brand is really nothing more than a shared set of beliefs, feelings, emotions, and perceptions and values. A product is something that is sold. It has dimension. It has a price. It's either on a shelf or virtually on a shelf. People confuse product success for brand success all the time and vice versa. Um, You can have a product success and people not believe in your brand. You can have a great brand and have a disastrous product. Um, That doesn't mean your brand isn't strong. It just means the product wasn't good. And understanding the differences will help you be more effective in, in driving both product sales and brand love. Right. You use the examples, I believe, of, of for example, Apple computers yeah. yeah. and Starbucks. I mean, you can get coffee anywhere, right? Every sure. lot of people sell computers. Um, so they've got they've got a real brand going on, yes. It's it's the experience culture that we live in. Um, and there's some amazing existing publications that talk about the experience economy. You know, if you think about it, Starbucks is selling a commodity, which is coffee beans. Okay. But they're not. They've turned a commodity into an experience. There's a pride of, I call it a pride of silliness now that you're paying $7 for a cup of coffee. Um, I'm a Dunkin' guy. So if the Dunkin' folks are listening, hey, I'm all up for an NIL deal. Um, but, you know, you, Starbucks has been able to be so successful because they have created a gestalt around their brand. Mm-hmm. And when people see you carrying a Starbucks cup, you're saying to them, I'm in the know. The brand is a badge. So, you know, that's a really good example of a brand that has kind of um, been able to transform itself from a commodity into an experience. 
That's interesting. Um, you mentioned brands that um, don't succeed because the product is lousy or something. Um, yeah. Is it fair to ask you for an example of one of those? Uh, of a of a brand that has put something out yeah. that hasn't been yeah. successful? Um, I I don't love to talk about other people's okay. failures. That's um, fair. That's, that's I, fair. That's I'm, happy to to talk about, I'm happy to talk about my own. Um, what I will say <laughs> okay. is... I will say this, that if, if you've ever, I think entertainment's the easiest place. If you've ever seen a show that's been on for two or three episodes and comes off air, that's a great example of a failure. Okay. okay? There you go. And okay. what's crazy is that think about how much testing goes into a pilot, how much time and money goes into script writing and casting only to have a show not resonate with consumers. That's why marketing is both an art and a science, right? You, you, you yeah. can't always anticipate what the consumer is going to say, feel, or respond to. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate that. Now, okay. To me, the most intriguing concept in your entire book. Okay. We're going to definitely talk okay. about this as much as you, as much as you can is the challenge of the third place runner. Oh, challenger mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, you know, it, 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 if you could, if you, um, Doug is really good with analogies. Okay. And so this analogy strikes me as sort of, is sort of being at the, the heart. Okay. Thinking human is sort of the, the log line here. The, 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 the heart is where your minds, where your mindset is at. So talk about the third place runner thing. So the challenger mindset. Um, and the reason why I use analogies is perhaps I'm not smart enough to be more articulate than framing it. But if you think about a race, okay. Think about a long distance race. Gun goes off. Somebody gets to the front. Okay. That's the market leader. If you ever watch a race, that market leader is always looking over their shoulder at what the second place person is. How far? How far is the gap? How far is the distance? Where's my next competitor? Let me look behind me. Focusing on what is behind you isn't allowing you to properly embrace what's in front of you. Now think about the person in second place. Okay. I got to catch them. I got to catch them. I got to catch them their focus is drawn more intensely into what the first place runner is doing and not necessarily into what their potential is. So now let's go to the third place runner. Third place runners got to make up some ground. They not only have to get ahead of the second place runner, they got to get ahead of the first place runner. They're thinking strategically. They are methodically plotting out every move. They are willing to take a risk because they got nothing to lose. Third place runner isn't worried about going into fourth. They're focusing on how to get further faster, how to get to the finish line, how to finish in first place. And that is the epitome of the challenger mindset. The third place runner is thinking strategy. They're looking at the entire rest of the race saying, how many more laps? How much ground? What do I have to do to make it up? so that I can be the person at the end of the day that's crossing the finish line first. And where crazy town comes in is the fact that the first place runner and the second place runner don't care about the third place runner. They only care about the first place runner is looking at second, second's really looking at first, and they forgot that there's a guy in third or a gal in third. And that's where the power comes in, into really adopting that challenger mindset. You used examples of um, uh, brands like Peloton, Yep. Um, which I thought was a really interesting one in Chipotle and Panera in the food service industry. Um, you talk about a little bit about how they dealt with the challenges. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we pick one. Can't I mean, do all. I think I think you know, Peloton obviously as of late it have had some financial challenges. But if you look at the landscape that they were in, you know, you had Soul Cycle that was really dominating cycling business. You had you know Equinox, which owned Soul Cycle, that was really dominating the high end gym experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a whole bunch of like little fitness apps that were floating around. Peloton looked at that landscape and said, you know what? We can build a better and more innovative mousetrap. The bike for them became a conduit to a world of content. Once you bought the bike and you had access to the content, they expanded. You went from cycling to overall fitness, to walking, to rowing, to yoga, to meditation. And now what they've been able to do is work and allow you to be on the bike watching your favorite streaming service. They saw exercise as an experience, not an activity. Peloton, for those that are zealots, I'm a rider. My wife is is very, very involved in Peloton. Um it is, it is, it is religion and it's because it fosters a sense of real-time community. It fosters a one-to-one connection, even though you're behind a screen and it allows you to curate your experience, which is different every single time, depending on what class you take, how you feel and your results. I'm making notes. It's okay. (laughs) No, this is no, this is this is great. Um, I'd like to slide the conversation a little sideways here um, to talk about how the third place runner mindset might apply to authors. Crime Wave uh, reaches a lot of readers and and writers. Um, thinking about the writers who might be listening. Um, None of us are named James Patterson or Stephen King or J.K. Rowling. So how about if we call us the third place runners? You know, we're published. We have a following. We sell books. We give talks. We go to conferences. But most of us aren't on the New York Times bestseller list, right? Mm -hmm. So what steps? You you use the words. These are the words I wrote down. Uh, Community connection and experience. Okay. And I think Mm -hmm. those are really valuable terms to take. So what steps could someone whose product is a book, possibly a mystery use to move out of the friend zone? We've all got friends. Sure. How do Um, people fall in love with us? So the first thing I would say to anybody who is finding themselves in that position is Stephen King didn't start out as Stephen King. Um, I actually had the pleasure of meeting JK Rowling because I actually worked on a project for Warner Brothers where we wrote the brand architecture for the Harry Potter consumer products franchise when they bought the when they bought the franchise. Um, none of these established authors started out as established authors. The challenge today is also the opportunity today, which is how to connect with consumers. You have the ability to do things to bring your content to life to the masses that J.K. Rowling didn't have, that um, F. Scott Fitzgerald didn't have, Mm -hmm. that Stephen King didn't have. And how do you think about that? You know, do you take a chapter in your book, for example, and act it out in an Instagram live? Okay. Do you 
get a couple friends who are in the arts and act out as a one scene play, one chapter to get people excited, to be able to dimensionalize these characters and see them. You know, I'm not a voracious reader, but the books that I love tend to be autobiographical because I can, knowing what the person looks like, I can picture them saying and doing what they are. And that's sort of how I tried to write my book was that if you read the book, you'll get a sense of who I am as a human being and how I speak, which my editor hated, but I refused to change. I wanted to write a book in the same vernacular that I conduct my daily life in. So I would say to all of you that are, are looking to break in, break out, okay? Break out of the confines. It's not a book tour. It's not you know, going to your local bookstore per se and sitting there and signing copies. Use the power of one-to-one -one communication. You know, one of the things that I did when I launched the book is I gave away a free chapter. I gave away not just a free chapter, but the introduction to the book as well, because I wanted to set up the context of me to create the we. If you understood the person writing the book and why I did it, then you'll appreciate, hopefully, hopefully, and you'll go to Amazon and buy your Kindle or your paperback version of it, the insights that come from it. So I would suggest to all of you, think different. What makes a great mystery novel a great mystery novel is the ability to paint a picture in the mind of the reader, right? To tell a story. And that's actually the same thing about great marketing. So we're not that far apart in what our goals are. You're expert storytellers by the nature of being able to craft something that is completely out of your own mind. Okay. The ability to take and create a virtual world and character develop is a, is an art form. And you should be super proud of what you have done. The other thing is stop focusing on comparing yourselves to others. Be your best you. I say that not being able to do that myself. Um, you know, I've grown up with peers. Some of them have had greater degrees of success than I have. And it's frustrating. And I have a chip on my shoulder as a, as, as a result of it. But I would say to you is don't fall into the trap that I've found myself in, which is benchmarking my success based on, on others. Benchmark your success on, are you better today than you were yesterday? Find that small moment of a win and let those wins stack up. That's going to create really amazing things in your life. Thank you. That was extremely, extremely articulate and helpful. And Thank I hope you. your dad is very proud of you. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, I, you know, when I told him I wrote a, when I told him I wrote a book, um, I didn't get too detailed to him, but I, but I sent it to him and, um, I asked him, you know, have you read it? And he's like, I skimmed it. And I, he said, I said, so what do you think? He said, I think it's you. So uh, I think it's you. Um, and I hope it is, I hope people read it get a sense of who I am. And if I've added value in some way, shape or form to your life today or where you're going tomorrow, then I've succeeded. Thank you very much. Um, really appreciate it. Um, before we go off the air, I want to make sure everyone knows that moving your brand out of the friend zone is available exclusively at amazon.com and on Kindle. Um, there's so much more uh, to the book than we were able to showcase of the showcase in this short podcast. Um, it's highly readable. It's it's Doug. If you liked what you heard today, you'll learn <laughs> something. 
<laughs> you'll, you'll learn a lot more for, from reading his book. It really does make if, a, if, a if you think I'm a, if you think I have a modicum of charm, maybe you'll read the book and find something. And uh, if not for you, then then honestly, if you have a student who's in school or coming out of college or new in their career, this is about marketing and branding, not only for a business but also a little bit for yourself. So I hope you I, find, I, I find totally information agree. in That's it. That's right. Um, Doug, is there um, is there some particular ways that people could look for you online? Yeah. Um, so you can reach me. You can you can go to my website www.dougzarkin.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram. Um, but I'd, I'd appreciate that if anything we said resonates, head over to Amazon um, and and take a read. That's great. Um, I really did learn a lot from your visit. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was it was it was awesome. Best wishes for you for your book thank you. for all your other endeavors, and thank you so much for taking time to chat. Stay today. healthy, stay safe, and best to you. Thank you.